Book Four, Chapter Three of Clara Vaughan, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Clara Vaughan, Volume Two, by R. D. Blackmore. Book Four, Chapter Three. On the following Monday, my poor uncle being rather better again, I set off for London as had been determined, and arrived there late in the afternoon. It had been proposed to send a servant with me, but I had been too long accustomed to independence, and also had reasons of my own for refusing. I was to receive on the morrow an account by telegraph of my patient's health and spirits, and promised to give in return some tidings of myself. Mrs. Shelfer had not been apprised of my coming, because she would have been sure to tell Mrs. Ola, whom as well as her brother I wished to take by surprise. Dear Isola had often inquired about my family, but only knew that I was an orphan much reduced in the world, poor and all alone. Much as I loved her, I knew quite well that she could not keep a secret and whenever she teased me about my iron mask, I retorted upon her that she had first to discover the secret of her own home. As we rushed towards the mighty city, what a flush was in my cheeks, what a flutter in my heart! Whom might I not see upon the platform, or see at any rate in the streets? And poverty being removed, what obstacle could there be between us? Not that I intended to resign myself to affection and lead a life of softness until I had discharged to the utmost my duty to the dead. Yet some sort of pledge might pass, some surety there might be, that neither of us would feel thereafter quite alone in the world. But how could I tell that he even cared about me? Well, I had a strong suspicion. In some things the eyes are the best detective police. Only I had always been so unlucky. Was it not too good luck for me ever to be true? Mrs. Shelfer's door was opened at my knock, not by her own little bustling self, not even by shock-headed and sly Charlie, but by a short stout man of affable self-importance, with a semi-Jewish face and a confidential air. He had a pot of porter in one hand and a paper roll in the other, a greasy hat on his head, and one leg of his trousers had lost the lower half. Upon learning my name and object, he took no notice whatever of me, but put up his paper roll for a trumpet and shouted along the passage, "'Ballum, here's a kick!' I'm bothered if it's all lies after all. Never dreamed the old girl could tell a word of truth. Had a higher opinion of her. Blowed if the young woman herself ain't come. Easy there, Ballock. The mouth of the speaker was full. Keep the door, I tell you. Never gets a bit of time to my victuals. She's up to a plant, I doubt. Just let me have a squint at her. Out came another man with a like appearance and air, 
and a blade-bone in his hand, whereat he continued to gnaw throughout the interview. It was indeed a squint with which he favoured me, and neither of them would move for me to pass. "'Pray, what is the meaning of all this?' I asked, in my grandest manner. "'Surely I have not mistaken the house I lived in. This, I believe, is Mrs. Shelfer's house.' Instead of answering me, they closed the door enough to put the slide-chain on, leaving me still outside, where with boiling indignation I heard myself discussed, the cabman looking on with an experienced grin. "'Well now, Balaam, and what do you think of that party?' "'Uncommon fine young girl, and deuced mannersome too, but it don't follow for all that.' "'that the thing is on the square, you know. "'Have she got any luggage, Balak?' "'No, mate. "'And that looks fishy, now one come to think on it. "'Stop. "'Let me have another look.' "'No. "'Leave that to me. "'Slip the chain out, Balak, "'and keep your foot behind the door. "'She can't push us both in "'without assault and battery.' "'To my shame and indignation,' I was subjected to another critical cross-fire from half-drunken eyes. I turned my back and stamped in my vexation. The cabman gave me an approving nod. This little act of mine was so unmistakably genuine, and displayed such very nice embroidery, I do like a tasteful petticoat, that the hard heart of Balaam was softened. At the same moment, a brilliant idea stole through his cautious mind. "'Stop now, Balak, and put your foot there. She can't push us both in, I believe. Leastways, not without battery and contempt of court. Now, what do you think of this?' And he whispered to his grimy friend. "'Well, that beats all I ever heard on. Let you alone for brains, Balam, and me for muscle and pluck.' "'Now, young lady,' began Balaam, in a diplomatic tone, "'me and my mate here be in a constitution of trust, "'or else you may take your oath and never a prevarication. "'We never would keep an agreeable young female.' "'Here he gave me two ogles intended for one. "'On the flinty stones so long. "'Only we can't say if you mean honest, "'and there be such a many bad ones going, "'and we've got a leery file inside.' "'Now, listen to what I say. "'There's a dog as big as a lion in the room, as you calls yawn, "'and he do show his teeth, and no mistake. "'We be afeard to show our noses there, even at the command of duty. "'You can hear him growling now, like all the Strand and Fleet Street. "'And my mate Balak here leave half his breeches behind him, "'saving your presence, miss, and lucky to get off so.' Now, if so be you undertakes, honour bright, to march straight into that front room, my mate and self have concluded to let you in. Of course I will, said I, smiling at their terrors. So I paid the cabman, took up my little bag, and ran right up the stairs. Balaam and Balak feared to come round the corner. "'You must unlock the door, miss,' 
cried one of them. "'We was forced to lock him in.' "'Oh, Judy, my darling Judy, my own pet love of a Judy!' He let me say no more. His paws were on my shoulders, and I was in a shower-bath of kisses. In the ecstasy of my joy, I forgot all about the two men and their mysterious doings, and flung myself down on a chair, while Judy, out of his mind with delight, even tried to sit on my lap. He whinnied and cried and laughed and yelled, and could find no vent for his feelings until he threw his great head back and told all in a wow-wow that must have been heard in Oxford Street. A little familiar knock, and Mrs. Shelfer appeared, looking rather better than ever. "'Why, dear Mrs. Shelfer, how glad I am to see you! And you look much younger, I declare.' "'And, Miss,' "'You do look beautiful, beautiful, my good friend. Splendid things!' I was dressed a little better, but still in sombre colours. "'Splendid, Miss Vaughan, and how you becomes em to be sure. Talk of Miss Idols after that, why, it's the Queen to a gypsy. And pray, Miss, if I may make so bold, what did you give for this? It beats my sarsnet dress, I do believe.' "'Nothing, Mrs. Shelfer, only a little kiss.' "'Gracious me, miss, then you've been and got engaged, and to a lord at least. I heard you were coming to your great fortune at last. More than all Middlesex, they tell me, Regency Park and all. And that poor straight-legged young man has come here every day to see Judy and to ask for you. "'Now, Mrs. Shelfer, don't talk nonsense.' My heart was jumping, but I did not want her to see it. I only hope you haven't said a word to him about these foolish reports. Me, miss? Do you think I would now? Yes, I know by your face you have. You can't cheat me, Mrs. Shelfer. Never mind if you have not mentioned my name. It never struck me that Conrad would be frightened at my money. "'No, never, miss, as I hope to be saved!' And she crossed herself, which I had never seen her do. "'Come, Mrs. Shelfer, now. I've got some pretty little trifles for you in this bag.' She jumped with pleasure. She was so fond of knick-knacks. Then she put her fingers on her lips and went to the door and listened. Presently she came back with a mysterious air. "'Pray, miss,' "'As you are so very kind, excuse me taking the liberty, "'but would you mind giving Judy the bag in his paws? "'No fear of them getting it there.' "'Why, what on earth is the matter? "'Why didn't you let me in? "'Who are those nasty men?' "'Oh, it's nothing, miss, nothing at all to speak of. "'Only they knocks my stick so in making the inventory.' and the one they made last time, and the time before, would do every bit as well. But they charges for it every time, the rogues, and they dare to put the chairs down, lacquered in American cloth. Good Morocco as ever was, and if Miss Minto— Now, Mrs. Shelfer, 
tell me in two words what it means. Is it a sale? No, no, miss. I should hope not. Only an execution, and them two men are the bailiffs. Civil tongues enough, and very good judges of porter and periwinkles. They're the ones as come last time, but I'd sooner have the old ones. Jolly fellows they were, and knew how to wink both eyes. But that cross-eyed thief— And have they got my things, Mrs. Shelfer? No, miss, only what few was in the bedroom. They daren't come here for Judy. It was as much as their lives were worth. If I had known they was coming, I'd have had him at the front door, but they locked him in as soon as he got a piece out of the other feller's leg. Bless me! How he did holler! Do you mean to say, Mrs. Shelfer, that they have taken possession of my things in my bedroom? To be sure, miss. I said there was yours, and of course they wouldn't believe me, and the folding door was shut. But Judy would have broken it down, only they put the bedstead again it. Gracious me! I never see a dog take on so in all my life. He was like a roaring lion. I should rather hope so. Judicy, I commend you, and I've a great mind to let you out. And what is more, I will if they don't give me back my things. Surely, Mrs. Shelfer, they have no right to my property. Well, so I say, miss, because it isn't for the landlord. But they won't believe they're yours. If they don't believe me pretty soon, Judicy shall convince them. He is a judge, you know and I've no idea of robbery any more than he has. But who is doing all this, and why do you seem so unconcerned about it? I should cry my eyes out, I am sure. Bless your pretty heart, miss. This makes the fifteenth time I've had them here, in the last four years. At first I was terribly put out, and made myself a figure crying. But now I only think it's company and they drink as if they was, that's certain. You must have seen the inventories, miss, round the candles, lots of times. Only one thing they does that don't strike me is very honourable, though it's law, I believe. They charges me, and very high too, for eating up my victuals, and they will have meat four times a day. Why, that ballock, him with his breeches gone, who put them in, Mrs. Shelfer, and how much is it for? Oh, it's one of Charlie's bills or notes, of course. Queenlin holds it. Him, as keeps the little dustpan down Maiden Lane. And Charlie says that all he got for it was ten shillings and a wagon-load of watercresses. Now they'll be here directly, miss, with you to keep the dog in. Excuse me, miss. I see you've got one of them new white things as go all round and up. Capital things. I must have one before they come again. "'And could you manage to sit upon the sofa, miss, "'and the three best chairs in your petticoat, "'with a teapoy on your lap?' "'What on earth do you mean, Mrs. Shelfer?' "'Why, miss, they can't lay hold "'of any article in use, I believe, "'and you have got so much room in your things.' "'Do you suppose I intend to let them come here "'for a moment? "'Now, let me look at my bedroom.' Come, Judy. Oh, miss, 
they did have such a hunt here for Charlie's double-barrel gun. A regular beauty it is, and that big rogue Quinlan is after it. They know it all round this neighbourhood. It was made by a famous maker, Joe something, I believe, and the best he ever made. It was poor Miss Minto's brothers, and they shan't have it, not one of them. I'd sooner shoot them with it. I keeps it always in the safest place I knows on, and twice a year I see that it don't get rusty. What safe place do you keep it in? She put her little mouth up to my ear, and her little hand up to her mouth, and whispered, At the broker's, miss, in Barbican. He's at it now six years. It's in for a quarter its value, but that's all the better for me. I have less to pay for keeping it, and I carries the ticket night and day in my bosom. And do you know, my good friend, they thought they had got it just now. They got a key that fitted that box of yours, that you always lock so carefully, and they made sure that was it. Ha, ha! How I laughed at them when they opened it! What? Have they dared to open my mahogany box? It was the repository of my precious relics. To be sure they did, miss, and they found such curious things there. A lovely thing, all set with jewels. They said a baggonet fit for the Duke of Wellington, and plaster shapes like a cobbler's last, and coloured paper with queer letters on it, and a piece of long black hair, and a plan with distances on it. Law, miss, what on earth is the matter? Water, water! You're like death. Balaam, Balak! Stop, Mrs. Shelfer. I had fallen on the bed. I would not for ten thousand pounds have had that box exposed to those low ruffians, ransacked and even catalogued. If I can punish them, I will. And you too, you low, miserly, meddling, inquisitive old crone. She cared for nothing though afterwards she told me she never saw such eyes in her life, until I luckily called her an old crone. At that she fell back upon the towel-horse, and sobbed with both hands over her eyes, as if her heart would break. I had pierced her in the tenderest point—her age. I did not feel sorry for her at all, for at least two minutes, but let her cry away. Serves her right, I thought, even if she could not have stopped them from opening that box of mine, at any rate she had no right to gossip about it, and enjoy it all, as she evidently had done. Furthermore, I knew well that she had always been on the tingle to learn the contents of that box, and many a time I had baffled her. Now she had triumphed thoroughly, and I should not have been female if I had calmly allowed it. But seeing her great distress, through all of which she talked with sobs for affirmations, I began to think what a pity it was, then to wonder whether she deserved it all, next to believe that she had done no harm, lastly to feel that I had been a brute. Thereupon I rushed to coax and kiss her, wiped away her tears with my own lawn handkerchief, the feel of which consoled her for the edge was lace, 
and begged her pardon fifty times in a thousand foolish words. Finally, she was quite set up again by this. "'I tell you, my dear Patty, when I come to your age, when I am five-and-thirty, she was fifty-two at least, I shall fully deserve to be called an old woman for this, and much older I shall look, there is no doubt, than you do.' "'Right, my good friend, you are quite right there.' This expression showed me that she herself was right. "'Why, the young man from the butcher's, he said to me this morning, and beautiful black hair, reminded me of yours, miss, all stuck together with the fat from off the kidneys. Come, Mrs. Shelfer, let me see about my box.' "'To be sure, to be sure, my dear Miss Vaughan. "'But what do you think he said?' "'Now, William John,' says I, "'a good steak, mind, a tender juicy steak "'for the gentlemen visitors here. "'Ballam, Miss, and Ballock, if you please, "'does like good juicy meat.' "'Mrs. Shelfer, ma'am,' he says, "'a-bowing with his tray like that, "'you shall have a steak, ma'am, "'as fresh and as juicy as yourself.' Now, wasn't that pretty, my good friend? Beautiful, Mrs. Shelfer, but see about my box. Surely, surely, Miss Vaughan. But it was very pretty, like a valentine. Don't you think it was now? Where is it? Downstairs, Miss, in my little parlour. Then send it up at once by one of the men. Presently Balaam came up, looking askance at Judy, and with the mahogany box under his right arm. He touched his dirty hat, for Mrs. Shelfer had filled him by this time with the wonders of my wealth, and then he looked doubtfully and with sorrow at his burden. "'Put it there, if you please,' and I pointed to some chairs. The dog will not touch you while I am here. Now, what is the amount of this execution? Debt, fifteen pounds, miss. Expenses up to five o'clock, four pound ten. Here is the money. Now give me a receipt. No, miss. You don't mean to pay all. Of course I do. "'Then, miss, I beg your pardon, but I can't allow you. "'I has a duty to my employer, and I has a duty to the public, too, "'not forgetting Mrs. Shelfer and Charlie, an old friend, "'and all so handsome in the way of victuals. "'And I'm sure she wouldn't wish you to be cheated, miss. "'Pay ten pounds for the debt, miss, "'and that's a deal more than it cost them or they expects to get. "'Twixt you and me, miss,' Every stick of this ear furniture is in a dozen bills of sale already, and we comes here more for practice-like than for anything else. In short, I paid ten pounds for the debt and four pounds for the expenses, whereupon Balaam looked at me with a most impressive and confidential glance. "'Now, miss, you won't think me rude,' "'But you have come down so handsome, "'I can tell you something as you may like to know.' 
I've seed the very moral of that sword of yours before. Are you certain? Pray, where was it? I trembled with excitement. It was in a place in Somerstown, miss, where I made a levy some eight year agone. What was the name of the people? Dallyhorse, or Jellycorse, or something of the sort. Foreigners they was, and they'd only just come to this country. But I can tell you the names more shipshape from the books. Oh, the very moral of it, only there weren't no serpent. Do you know what has become of them? No, that I don't, and don't want to come across them again. A mean set of mongrel parley-woos. I got starved almost. But I did hear. They was riding the high horse now, and something about court. Are you quite sure that the weapon was exactly like this? Look at this again. Miss, I can take my oath it was the fellow P, all but the little snake, and he ain't a fixture, I don't believe. I would have sworn it was the very same, only you tells me not. I noticed it most particular, for I never seen one like it, though I've had a sight of foreign weapons in my hands ere now. And the gent had got it put away so. We come across it only through a cat as happened to be confined, and what became of it? Did your employer have it? Not he, miss. When the gent found we had got it, he was put out, and no mistake, though he sham not. Away he goes and gets the money somehow, and has us all away in no time. How many were in the family? Well, let me see. They was only living in lodgings, and had but half the house. There was Dallyhorse himself, and a queer-looking lady, and some children. I don't know how many children, for they kept them out the way. And a nice young woman as did the cooking for them, and precious little it was. What was his profession, and who was his creditor? I don't know. They called him an artist, I think, but he looked to me more like a sailor. It was a boarding-house bill as I was on him for. Rum-tempered fellow. I thought he would have stuck me when I got his sword-thing. A tallish man he was, slight build and active, and such black eyes. Now, Balaam, if you can trace that man, and find out where he is living now, I will give you two hundred pounds. Here's ten pounds for you, as an earnest. Balaam was so amazed that he almost looked straight at me. "'Please, miss, may I tell Balak? I shan't be happy if I doesn't. We always works together, and it wouldn't be on the square-like. "'Was he with you, then, and can he keep a secret?' "'Yes, miss, he was with me, and I'd trust him with a gallows secret. I can't do no good without him.' Then certainly you may tell him, but not while in this house. Here is my country address, that you may know who you act for. Keep clear of the police. Keep the whole matter to yourselves. In two days I leave London. If you discover nothing in that time, write to me here, and I will take good care to have the letters forwarded. Do nothing but find out that one thing.' 
and when I have verified it, I will pay you the two hundred pounds. Would you mind, miss, putting it on paper? Yes, for many reasons I will not write it down. But you are at liberty to inquire who I am, and whether I am likely to disgrace my word. After taking his address, Balaam Leveson, Dove Court, Chancery Lane, I allowed him to depart, and heard him pause on every stair to ponder this strange matter. Presently Mr. Shelfer came home, and was delighted to see the bailiffs, and the pleasure being mutual, and my cash burning to be quenched, a most hilarious evening was the natural result. My health was drunk, as I could hear too plainly, to unfathomable depths, and comic songs from three loud organs provided with patent nasal stops, with even Patty's treble pipe audible in the chorus, broke from time to time the tenor of my sad and lonely thoughts. End of Book Four, Chapter Three